Hey, it's me, Rod Morgan, a longtime listener and semi-professional host of the Morgan Eno podcast, a pop culture, sometimes music, sometimes movies, sometimes TV podcast, always entertaining podcast on the Morgan Eno podcast network. Listen to us wherever you get your podcast. That's an awful lot of podcasts. That's the Morgan Eno podcast. Hello, Internet. The Morgan You Know Podcast Network presents Balls and Brew. That's right, folks. You normally are hearing Balls and Brew, and that's still what this is, but we are bringing back an old gimmick that Chris and I and Wu-Tang used to have. We called it 3 and D. It's when we would chop up and talk about basketball. So that's what we have for you this week and the week between the conference championship games and the Super Bowl. Mr. Williams, not being a huge NBA guy, also has this week off. But joining me, as always, is my co-host down there in South Carolina, where I must admit, I'm not usually too jealous of him living down in South Carolina, but with it being 19 degrees here and a foot and a half of snow on the ground, I'm jealous of you in South Carolina, Chris King. North Carolina, Rod. North Carolina. That's right. I wanted to put you even further (laughs) south because I'm just associating you with warmer temperatures at the moment. That's right. North Carolina. It is definitely warmer and more moderate here than it is up there in South Bend. We got 64 degrees here today, so it it is quite nice. All right. Well, I said it's cold here. It's even colder in Wisconsin. There's some sort of internet freeze out issue, something. Our old friend Matt Kazurski is not going to be able to join us this evening, but never fear. We have joining us. A Holy Cross priest, the director of campus ministry at the University of Notre Dame, the chaplain for the men's basketball team, and a Morgan, you know, podcast Hall of Famer, Jimmy Clue, the applause. It's Father Pete McCormick, and I'm also jealous of him for so many reasons, but tonight we're going to start with he's in a hotel in Miami while I'm up here freezing. Father Pete, hello. What's up, everybody? So great to join you all from from the great city of Miami, as my friend uh, Will Smith once said. Bienvenidos a Miami, and uh, it really pumped to be here, and uh, it, I'm currently kicking it with the team. We just played in Beat, the Hurricanes, last night, and uh, we're, we're on our way uh, tomorrow morning to, to North Carolina to play NC State this weekend, so good time to have escaped the South Bend winter. All right, well, I have a quick little uh, curveball for you that's team-related. We don't usually like to get too much into the team because I certainly don't want you to betray any confidences, but I'm fairly certain you can answer this one on me. You yes. were part of the Coach K farewell tour on Monday. The yeah. Coach K farewell tour rolled into South Bend. I mean, did you guys have to put an actual red carpet down anywhere? Was there a throne <laughs> that he requested to sit in? I mean, I don't you know. Did you guys – did you have to get him a gift? What were the What were the circumstances? What was the rider for the Coach K farewell tour? You know, I was asked this question and uh, I responded kind of tongue in cheek and said, you know, uh, the only thing we're going to give Coach K is a big fat loss. Well, uh, Coach K had something else uh, cooked up his sleeve there. And uh, so, um, but regarding kind of a gift, Notre Dame's a classy joint. I don't know what we ended up giving him. I'm sure it was received and and discreetly, but um, there was nothing on the outside that you could tell that he, he had received. But I did, I I can say this is pretty cool shaking his hand uh, at the end, right? He, he passed by as like, you know, father, good game. And uh, I, those moments are never lost on me. Like, you know, to date, I've been able to shake the hands of, of guys like Bobby Knight, Roy Williams, Mike Krzyzewski, and, and uh, it's, there's some uh, basketball royalty right there. 
Nice. I noticed there's a particular name not on that list, and I wonder if you just haven't had the chance or if you left it off because you know I do not like them. Is that is, that, is it John Calipari? Have you had the chance and just passed? Because you would be even more of my hero if you had the chance and passed on shaking John no. Calipari's hand. Oh, man. You know, um, I have shaken uh, Coach Cal's hand, and, uh, and, and you and I could do our own podcast on our opinions on Coach Cal. Like, I'm actually, believe it or not, and I, you need to prepare for this, and I'm grateful that you've already given me the Hall of Fame status. But Coach Cal is one of my favorite coaches. Um, I, oh my I, God, Jimmy! Jimmy, we have to and... we have to go to the bylaws. Can we revoke Hall of Fame memberships? I, I think there's there's got to be a clause in there. Chris, help me out here. There's got to be a clause in there about Coach Cal, doesn't there? I mean, there should be. There was a uh, Big East coach back in the day. He's like, if you get locked in a room with no doors and no windows, you want to be locked in there with Calipari because he can find a way out. <laughs> That's great. Uh... <laughs> no, you know what, Father Pete, I'll say this for him. I will. I'll say this for him. And this is as nice as I can be about him. And then, and then we'll move on. He does get nothing but rave reviews from all of his players and people who get the chance to meet him. He gets nothing but rave yeah. reviews from all those people. Yeah. And my answer is, of course, he knows he's being watched by people. Go ahead. I'll, I'll give you one pre-story on Coach Cal. So nice. when, when we, and this is a, a serious one, but when we were, when we played them uh, in December, that was the time of the big storms um, down in Kentucky. And, and Cal actually, um, they were all staying at a hotel right on Notre Dame's campus. And he actually brought the team bus over to the Notre Dame Grotto. Um, and the entire team got off and, and offered prayers for those um, who had, you know, been impacted. So, devastatingly uh, down in Kentucky. And he was like, you know, some of you might be Catholic, some of you might not, some of you might not even be religious. Uh, but this is a really important place at Notre Dame, and this is a really important thing for us to do for the people of Kentucky. So it's like, it's Cal is the reflection of, of our own humanity, right? We're sometimes a little, little grace, sometimes a little bit of sin, but that's what makes life interesting. See, this is why you're a Hall of Famer right there. You just proved why you're a Hall of Famer because you just have this way of being like, Rod, take your hot takes and calm it down for a second and then, and then, and then look at the bigger picture. That's why you're here. Speaking of the bigger picture, let's start with yes. getting some gripes out of the way if we have any. The all-star starters have been named in both conferences. Do we have a gripe with anybody that made it to the starters? Chris, I'll start with you, my co-host. I didn't have too many gripes. I know it's the fans. So we voted these people in. I mean, in in the East, you can't argue with Durant, Giannis, and Bid. Uh, Trey Young, he's still putting up numbers. He has regressed a little bit, but so has that whole team. And of course, I think Demar Derozan definitely deserves to be a starter in the East. Except Demar Derozan never plays guard. I mean, do we have a problem with that? <sighs> There's not a lot of. I don't know. It's it's weird, but like you got to give the fans what they want. They want. Oh, I mean, DeRozan. I'm not trying to say Demar Derozan doesn't deserve to start in the game by any means. You know, what I mean? but he we're, has we're gonna... played guard in the past, so it's not completely out of the realm of possibility. And as much in the way the Bulls play defense, he does defend against the guard position a lot of times as well. So I don't have a problem with it too much. I'm not a huge. I wasn't a huge Trey Young guy, but then I fast became a Trey Young guy when he decided to embrace wrestling villain in the playoffs last year. And we all know my love for wrestling. So now that Trey Young is essentially a wrestling villain, I'm all in on him. So I'm fine with him being a starter. But Father Pete, I think maybe the gripe might exist out in the Western Conference. I wonder if your eyebrow was raised when you heard the uh, starters for the Western Conference. Yeah, and I think we all know who uh, the, the biggest eyebrow raise was about. And listen, before I even say his name, 
I got to put some serious respect on his name. Like he has uh, had an incredible growth and he has been, even though a overall number one pick, he has played uh, the role of a role player on the Golden State Warriors and has been nothing short of classy about it. However, um, Andrew Wiggins as a starter? Ugh, I don't know. I also love the fact that the NBA is as committed to its fans as it is, but um, to allow 50% of the fan vote, um, as we saw in this case, uh, to be particularly tricky. So I did a little research today, um, and uh, I just find it fascinating that there's a there's a pop star by the name of Bam Bam uh, with 9.6 million Twitter followers alone. And I don't even know what his other kind of social media imprint is, but like, you know, even at the time of this election, they, they actively pointed to this influencer who was able to get Wiggins into the starting lineup. So um, if nothing else, if I'm Andrew Wiggins, I'm, I'm cutting uh, or I'm paying for dinner the next time Bam Bam's in town. Let's just say that. Yeah, Bam Bam is a uh, a K-pop star, and that's one of those things that like I know about periphery that people talk about it, and I know that it's a thing, but I, there's no way I'd be able to like that dude could walk by me on the street, and I'd have no idea that that guy just walked by me. You know what I mean? And I and I don't know that he's even he might be, be over in Asia somewhere. I have absolutely no idea. Uh, what I do wonder though, Chris, is how does something like let's get Andrew Wiggins on the All Star team even make it to this guy's desk? Are we to think that he's a Warriors fan? Is he is he a fan of Canadians? He was he was excited about Maple Jordan making his first All Star team. What I I have no idea. I listen when it comes to K pop, it is completely foreign to me. So I have no shocking, idea. Shocking that the old man <laughs> on this podcast has no idea about K pop. So I don't know. I mean, maybe. And their world, it's like when we all voted the, uh, the that one hockey player that got demoted to the... Uh, what? Stop. Hockey. Done. You're yeah. done. We're, we're no. moving on from it's, this. It, Andrew it gets, Wiggins. You get, you get a certain guy who's not necessarily as good enough to be an all-star. I, I wouldn't have a problem with him so much if he was named a reserve because of this, but... But, like, you get people behind a certain player, and it gets momentum in a certain group, and if that group's big enough, like, with 10 million Twitter followers and who knows what else, then they can really make a push. Yeah, see, the NBA tried to guard against this a couple of years ago when Zaza Pachulia was going to mess around and make the All-Star game because a bunch of Eastern Europeans were, were going crazy for their countrymen, and that's when they decided to bring in 25% of the fan or of the players' vote and of the uh, media vote to try to keep people like that out. Well, the players are no better. A bunch of players voted for Andrew Wiggins to be a starter. A bunch of players voted for Kyrie Irving and Ben Simmons. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's it's all a big joke. So I guess it doesn't really matter. All that being said, though, Father Pete, who do you have as a, an all-star reserve in a, either the Eastern Conference or the Western Conference? You choose. Yeah, so I, I bounced around. I think that, you know, one of the key reserves coming out of the West, got to be Devin Booker. Um, and then I'm uh, another one that I think uh, we need to be thinking about for the East is probably Zach Levine. Like, People are not talking about the Bulls enough, and they are the number one team in the East right now. No one, no one thought that that was in fact going to happen when they got. I don't even think Benny the Bull thought they were going to be that good. (laughs) Yeah, and he's a rather optimistic guy, you know. So, (laughs) yeah, so I I just think that those would be two: one from the West, one from the East. That they got to show up at some point. 
Yeah, and, and staying on the Andrew Wiggins and keeping with the Suns that Father Pete brought up there, Chris. I mean, if you're the Suns right now, you have to be scratching your head saying, how do we not have an all-star starter and we have nine <laughs> losses? I mean, Chris Paul could easily be on that team, could he not? Yeah, you could put Booker or Chris Paul probably in the starting lineup. I know Chris Paul's stats aren't quite as gaudy as they've been but in the past, but he ha- is the general of that team. He controls everything. He deserves to be an all-star. Um, so I could... I would definitely put Booger Booker in the uh, starting Booger. lineup. Booger, I'd put yeah. Booger from Revenge of the Nerds in there too. There, there you <laughs> go. But I would put him in there instead of Wiggins in a heartbeat. Um, I think he deserves it. I think Chris Paul deserves to be an All Star, maybe just not the starter. All right, so there you go. There's a couple guys. Who's who's a, who's a couple other must have reserves for you, Chris? Um, I think you got to make sure and have Luca and Rudy Gobert as reserves in the West. Uh, both those guys are phenomenal. Um, Rudy Gobert, who got an anemic number of player votes as a starter, man. He is just hated by his fellow players in the NBA for some reason. Yeah, but the dude plays defense and he plays tough. Um, in the East, you want to see Fred Van Fleet. I think he's made a statement this year. Shout uh, out to my Raptors. I'm looking for the Raptors to make the playoffs, and that will pay off for me in Vegas. Come on, Raptors. Of course, you want to see uh, Jimmy Butler. Uh, he deserves to be there. He's leading the Jimmy heat. Butler passed on the All-Star game. I'm not – Jimmy Butler doesn't get to be in the All-Star game. We're going to go back to Father Pete. Father Pete, yeah. I want to start here, though. We always bring up Luca when you're on this podcast. How crazy is it that we're not talking about Luca as a starter? Should we dis- be disappointed in him? Has he learned a lesson? What do we take from Luca not starting? I actually love it. I do. Um, listen, I'm I'm one of the biggest Luca devotees, but – I think I've made this point on this podcast, and so I apologize uh, for repeating myself, but I remain committed to this opinion. Um, Luca is a supreme talent. No one debates that. But Luca seemingly um, would uh, do himself right by studying Kobe Bryant, who was forever disciplined and, and came into the season prepared. Um, and he just doesn't do that. I mean, there are reports all the time. He comes in 30 pounds overweight. He kind of works himself into shape. And, and that's fine. Uh, but but that's not the level of greatness that's going to get you to the um, to the all star kind of like top five. Just isn't going to do it. So what I what I'd love to be able to see in him over the course of the next five years as he kind of enters into his prime of primes um, is to see him committed to the craft of showing up, being physically fit, and and dominating the league like I believe he can. But uh, he's he's perhaps benefited from being able to rely on his superior talents up until this point. And so to me, I don't know that he can be a superstar legit unless he proves that he's willing to kind of do the work or to quote Nick Saban here, if you want to do that, if you want to be the beast, you got to do the thing the beast do. And I just haven't seen it yet. I think that's a very, very good point by you. And I think that what that means is I love that you brought up Kobe Bryant because you could basically talk about one of his teammates for where Luca falls a little more on, right? We forget sometimes Luca's 22 years old. All right. I know what I was doing when I was 22 years old. And I know what I definitely would have been doing if I had all the money Luca had when I was 22 years old and all the fame that Luca had when he's 22 years old. So I think he takes a little more of the shack way of things like i'm gonna have fun i'm gonna take all the opportunities that come to me and i'm gonna play myself into shape and i think that's a disservice because you're supposed to get an education for so many jobs in america and that's your prerequisite to be able to have that employment and i think with professional sports it's the body like you were talking about father pete you have to do everything you can in your power to make sure you're at tip-top physical shape because that's why they're giving you the big bucks exactly exactly so i believe you can do it just haven't seen them yet 
Yeah. So is there is there anybody else, Chris, that we need to make sure that makes this team as a, as an all star? Now I understand that the actual reserves are going to be out by the time people hear this podcast, but we're just we're just doing it this way anyway. Um, I think I I, I want to see somebody from Cleveland, whether that's Garland or Allen or whoever. I I want to see Cleveland represented, and I think there is a, a gentleman in Charlotte who you think deserves it more than just about anybody else. Thank you. Thank you. If This is the All-Star game. As I spoke to a little while ago, it's ridiculous, right? The, some players voted Ben Simmons and Kyrie Irving into the All-Star game, right? Zaza Pachulia almost made the All-Star game a few years ago. Adam Silver put Dwayne Wade and Dirk Nowitzki in the All-Star game. Their final year is a goodbye. This thing's an exhibition. They, they do the Elam ending, which is unlike any other ending in basketball, right? It's for absolutely nothing. So please put LaMelo Ball in the game. Please, please do it, okay? I want to see this guy on the court with all of the players that can run and jump and take all of his behind-the-back passes and his off-the-backboard alley-oops and all the great things LaMelo Ball can do with guys running on the wings who have just as superior athleticism as he does. Father P, why are they robbing me of this? I don't think the NBA respects, although they enjoy, the flash that LaMelo brings to the game. They, they see it as gimmicky. They see it as the equivalent of, like, soda pop. He's like white um, and, chocolate almost, right? Another guy who never got any yeah, respect for his yeah, flashiness. Yeah, right. Like, this, it's, it, that's actually a great image. You know, the old Jason Williams, right? Like, he just uh, – until he can prove that he can legit dominate a game and not just kind of look like a glorified version of the Harlem Globetrotters, he ain't getting it. And that's just a bummer because I think at times this year he has shown that he is that player and maybe a little more consistency will get him on this team. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's That's sad to me because we know that the NBA is all about entertainment value and money and viewership. And I'm going to tell you, just like Jason Williams, people would tune in to those Sacramento Kings games because you didn't yep. know what was going to happen. Just like people tune in to the Hornets games this year. For one, they're good. People in North Carolina are actually excited. They're above 500, looking to solidly make the playoffs in the East right now. And they have an exciting team that's fun to watch. Like, promote that. And shout out to Eric Collins, their play-by-play man. If you've got NBA League Pass and you can get a Charlotte Hornets game where it's the Hornets broadcast, Eric Collins is loads of fun, man. That guy is way excitable and all into it. Just the way he says, oh, Terry. Anytime Terry Rozier scores is absolutely fabulous. All right, that's that's some Hornets love for me there. Let's stay in the East. All right, I've got got a little interesting system cooked up for us here. I want to talk about who's going to be the top four teams in the East. And then I want to switch to who's going to be the top or the bottom four teams in the West, because I think the top of the West is pretty well set in stone almost. And the real interesting thing out in the West is who's just going to make the playoffs. And in the East, it is completely wide open. Anybody at this point could probably end in the top four. So, Father Pete, you you, you rubbed your crystal ball. I don't know if priests do crystal balls or not, but you did. And you looked into the future and you saw what for the top four teams in the East at the end of the year will be who? Listen, I wish that I had more of a flashbang hot take scenario, but I look top to bottom. I think it's going to be the four that are there right now. Now, they might jockey a little bit back and forth, but Bulls, Heat, Sixers, Bucks as of this recording. That's nice. I love it. So you don't think that New Jersey's going to put it together and get back there, huh? Oh, no. They are, de- they are not a well built team. And I'm telling you what, like when the pressure begins to kind of like rise on them, I. You know, Durant will just be coming back from an injury. Kyrie's only playing halftime, and Harden seemingly has one foot out the door. Like, that's not a championship team. 
Chris, let me tell you the most interesting, and it's Brooklyn. I'm sorry. I can't believe I said New Jersey. I'm supposed to be the NBA expert around here, and I just called them the New Jersey <laughs> Nets, the Brooklyn Nets. But, Chris, what's lining up right now, what if you're the Nets in the 7-8 game, and you're playing the Toronto Raptors in a one-game playoff? Guess who doesn't get a play? Yeah, I know. You don't get Kyrie. I mean, that may be beneficial to Brooklyn, to be honest. That's one less mouth to feed, and they may actually work a little bit better. I don't know. I I see Brooklyn at the the five or six seed really. Um, however, I think Cleveland makes it in the top four. Nice. Okay, uh, who else you got? I got so I have Bulls. I have Bucks, Cleveland, and I think I'm going to stick with the Heat. I, I was think say, in, you can't Embiid, be having Heat culture fall out of there. There's no way Pat Riley lets that happen. I, I think Embiid gets another injury this year and goes out and they stop, fall out of the stop, top four. Stop with the Embiid injury talk. You know I got money on him too. Come on, stop with that. It's it's almost like it's tradition at this point. A tradition unlike any other. Joel Embiid goes down for a period of two weeks to be reevaluated. <laughs> All right, so the Cavs. I like that. Father Pete, your thought on the Cavs. You didn't have them in your top four. No, I, I don't think that um, teams like the Cavs, as good as they have been and as good of a storyline as it has been, um, they're not deep enough yet as professionals. And I think that coaching staffs figure them out in the second half. It doesn't mean that they aren't good. Uh, but I, I just think that, you know, as, as, the, as the games become increasingly more meaningful, you're going to see them crack. They're still going to make the playoffs. They're not going to be forced to do the play-in. Um, but they are not going to be in a situation where they're legit competing against the top four talent. I I am going to kind of disagree with you a little bit there, Pete. I think yes. that the Cavs that realistically have the best defense in the NBA right now, yeah. uh, their points against are the lowest in the league. Uh, that defense is what you need to succeed, especially in the East. And I think that's what keeps them in these games in the crunch time because they're not relying on their scoring so much as they're relying on their defense. Well, and they're not relying on their scoring because they can't score, and that's their problem. So, fine, in the playoffs, playoff games are going to be lower scoring, but guess what? The Cavs still aren't going to score enough to win. Like, you know, you play – teams are going to slow it down, and they're going to pick the mismatches apart, and the Cavs have to score. And I'm with Father Pete. Their three best guys are three extremely young guys, and Garland, who's a second- or third-year player – Yep. Mobley, who's a rookie, and Jared Allen, who's a, like a fourth-year player. You know what I mean? And also, if, you're, if your fourth-best player is Laurie Marketing, you might be in trouble. But the experience factor we're leaving out here is this team does have Rajon Rondo. I'm not necessarily <laughs> sure if that's good or bad, but Rajon Rondo is on this team. That is playoff Rajon. That's why you get him on your team. You don't worry about him in the regular season. Just yep. keep him fresh. Playoffs, I don't think there's a guy that plays harder. Once the playoffs come around, that's true, because I don't think Rajon Rondo's even playing right now. He's basically just on this team in spirit at this point. We'll see if he ends up doing anything <laughs> in the playoffs. All right, speaking of the Cavs, though, I want let's switch to the Western Conference, but let's do it this way. The Cavs have been a surprise team in the East, and the Memphis Grizzlies, my goodness, grit and grind 2.0. So, Father Pete, you, you said what you said about the Cavs. Do you find the Grizzlies more impressive than the Cavs then in their start this so far? Okay, so strangely, I do. I actually think that the, the Grizzlies um, – are legit and they are going to be here for a while. Can I can I just read you a quote from John Morant? Played the Knicks yesterday, and uh, they got into some kind of scuffle. Right, the Knicks didn't appreciate the fact that uh, the Grizzlies were coming in and giving them the business. So John Morant gets asked about this uh, post game, and he says the following. And I'm telling you what, this needs to be on a billboard somewhere in Memphis. 
So you're going to hear me use the word, the letter M. That stands for Memphis. It took me a minute to figure that out. Here it comes. There ain't no running in the M, man. We climb up the chimney. We ain't ducking no smoke. That nice. is an amazing line. We're climbing up the chimney. We ain't ducking no smoke. That's hard. Uh, that, that's a good line. And that, right? that fits but, Memphis to a T. Exactly. So you've got a guy who matches the characteristic of a city. Um, and he just carries himself um, with the savvy of a eight-year vet. And so I just think to myself, John Morant's been hardened by kind of taking the uh, the, the path that was not the primrose path. He didn't get the yeah, deep path. he wasn't he a big prep Kentucky guy, path. wasn't highly recruited, played at Murray State. You know, like this guy was counted out basically his whole entire career until he all of a sudden got drafted second. Yep. And so I just think that I think he's leading that team. And let's not forget, they've got Jaron Jackson Jr. on that squad, too, who's a top five pick. And they've got this rookie, Zaire, something or other, whose name is escaping me, but like playing like lights out. So don't I, forget about I think Desmond team, Bain. Right. They've got the look. And so I'm, I'm squarely on the, the, the Memphis uh, bandwagon. Um, and uh, Memphis really is beating Memphis is beating two teams. Memphis is going to play in the Western Conference Finals. That's what I'm Ooh, telling you right now. Love it. Did you see that historic line from Bain last night? Uh-uh. So Bain, where's number 22? It was 2-2-2022. He had two blocks, two steals, two assists. Uh, uh, he shot 22.2% from the field, like all his stats and everything were just twos. It was insane. How about that? Well, I don't know if he was trying to do that or not on purpose, but shout out to Bain for loving number sequentially. <laughs> the Grizz, I th- I love them in the West. I think that's what I mean. I think they're gonna they're entrenched in the top of the West with the Warriors, with the yeah, Suns. Yeah. You know, they're 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 absolutely entrenched out there, right? And then I think it's probably the Mavericks is going to end up ultimately being in the top four. But either way, the Mavericks don't factor into the conversation I, think, I want to have. On I the think West. the Jazz finish in the top four. Oh, the Jazz. Excuse me. I'm sorry. I left out Utah because everybody leaves out Utah. They're so uninspiring. <laughs> Show me something in the playoffs, Utah. <laughs> Let's talk about the bottom four teams in the West because this is where it is going to be an absolute dogfight. Okay. You have the Los Angeles Lakers involved in this fight okay you have the grizzly old vet the best coach in nba history greg popovich involved in this fight you have the scrappy minnesota timberwolves who desperately want to make the playoffs you have the sacramento kings who are a complete dumpster fire for over a decade and a half but they still desperately want to make the playoffs you could tell me any four teams are going to end up at the bottom of the west chris let's start with you who do you got down there so i really think i really think it's going to be the wolves clippers lakers blazers I think that's the last four teams in the West. Um, I really, as long as I see the Clippers and the Lakers play against each other in that first game, that's what I really want. So you got both LA teams in the play, and Father Pete, who do you got down there in the bottom four in the West at the end of the year? Yeah, so I'm sitting at. Um, I think I've got uh, the the T Wolves and the Clippers at seven and eight, the Lakers in at nine, just by the hair of their chinny chin chin. And then um, the only difference I have from Chris is, is I put the Spurs in at 10. I, I just yeah. don't think that the Trailblazers are, are put well together. And who knows? The Blazers are going to come, up, the Blazers so are gonna so come up when we talk trades, I have a feeling. I think I think Portland's going to yeah. kind of press the detonate on things is actually what I think Portland's going to do. Mm-hmm. So I think the Spurs are going to slide in there. I think Popovich is too good of a coach. He, he'll get them into that spot. 
Yeah, I think Minnesota is actually kind of frisky here, right? I think on the right night, you can catch Minnesota and you're like, man, this team actually is okay. Jared Vanderbilt's a guy who knows what he's supposed to do. If you catch D'Angelo Russell on the right night, he's driving on right. closeouts. He's knocking down threes. You know what I mean? Carl Anthony Towns, if he's not being moody, he's giving you double-double numbers. Yeah. And he's hitting some threes, you know? So you catch Minnesota, you're like, man, all right. But then the same thing. Don't forget about Edwards. Lake. Oh, yeah, that's right. right. Chris, go ahead. Tell us about Edwards. I mean, that guy's just a spark yeah, at all times, isn't he? I mean, yeah, like he is playing lights out every single night. Got to love that guy. He's Tom Crean connection, Chris. You know, like how, how could I forgot about him? You know my Tom Crean connection with this podcast. Anybody associated with Tom Crean is all right with me. <laughs> <laughs> hey, can I, can I throw something out here about the Lakers real fast? Absolutely, because we're about to talk about them. So what do you got? The Lakers are, are now at a spot where – the former Lakers all throughout the league, D'Angelo Russell being one of them, actually would make a pretty formidable team. Yeah, this is the trouble when you bring in my guy, right? Listen, I'm, I'm not going to slander LeBron James on this podcast for any reason, okay? But mm-hmm. this is what happens when you have LeBron on your team. LeBron yeah. doesn't have any interest in young guys. LeBron doesn't care what your team is going to do in three years. LeBron right. says, give me my guys. Give me dudes that can play right now or playoff battle tested, and we are going to try to win a championship. And this is what happens. You mortgage your future. you got to sign a bunch of guys who only maybe have one skill, who are on the backside of their career, or G League dudes that you're hoping you can catch lightning in a bottle with, and that's what the, the Lakers roster is. But, Chris, we got to talk about Russell Westbrook here because now we're about a week away from the trade deadline when this podcast dr- drops for you. And we're hearing a lot that Russell Westbrook might get traded. Chris, I teased that little uh, Westbrook to the Knicks on, a, on the last time we did a football episode. What trade, though, do you really want to see happen here at the trade deadline? Is it involving Russell Westbrook, or is it another one? Um, when we're talking about the Lakers, I really think the Lakers are only going to be able to execute one trade. Um and it's going to be exactly kind of what you just said. They're going after somebody older, veteran, can do one thing really well. Um, no one wants Westbrook. I think they've been shopping around since the beginning of the season. No one's interested. I don't see that changing. Um, you know, maybe maybe they send him to Toronto for uh, uh, Gary Trent Jr. Maybe you can see something like that, but I don't see that happening either. Um, that's who they want. They would like to get Gary Trent Jr. from Toronto, but what they're going to get is Eric Gordon from Houston. Really? Uh, yeah. He's 33. He can shoot the, not much. I mean, he's on an expiring contract. Houston doesn't want him. They want somebody yeah, young. Yeah, but everybody else in the league wants him. You think the Lakers now, are going to be able to pay the high enough price? I think, I think that that's the only spot that the Lakers can acquire somebody that's actually gettable. Wow. So you're saying THT and that Lakers unprotected 2027 pick will land Eric Gordon. I disagree. No, I don't think I don't think that they'll even have to give up that 2027 for Eric Gordon. Whoa, there's no way. Absolutely they're getting a first round pick for Eric Gordon. Houston's already said that. They're not letting him go for anything less. Yeah, well, things change rather quickly. Holy we'll smokes. I can't believe you're throwing smoke at a former Hoosier right here now, actually, sort of with this Eric Gordon. I like I had. listen. <laughs> I like Eric Gordon. I think he's playing really, really well this year. Then why is he going to not fetch anything in a trade deadline that doesn't have a lot of guys, Chris? I mean, because the, the, the people love hearing us argue, Father Pete. So don't worry, Chris and I still love each other. But the people listen. Love the us one argue. thing, the one thing that's also pretty consistent about Eric Gordon is he gets hurt every single year as well. So everyone knows that's a risk. You trying to get him for this push in the final second half of the season. 
That's a, that's a hit against him because he gets hurt every single year. Okay, listen, you're absolutely right that Eric Gordon is getting traded, but you're absolutely completely off base for what Eric Gordon's price is going to be. So we're just we're just going to move off of you and let you regroup, and, and maybe you'll be better when we, when we talk about the next trade. Father Pete, what do you want to see happen at the trade deadline? Okay, so I think that this trade de- trade deadline is is pretty boring, um, and and I think it's boring because like you're going to get some movements around the fringes, but but I do want uh, and we talked about this just before pressing record is that I think that what you're going to see here is a referendum on big money contracts, especially given um, to to old vets. You know, getting these kind of like Chris Paul deals. Now, to Chris Paul's credit, he's fulfilled at least to date, uh, the type of money he's demanding. But, you know, you've got John Wall, you've got Russell Westbrook, um, you know, like basically parked at the end of the bench and they're both making near or above $40 million a year. At some point, these GMs are going to ask themselves in the future, is it really worth signing off on someone like this? Um, Because as the market begins to collapse and teams become at least somewhat cost conscious, probably in part brought on by the pandemic, and, and a bit of a tighter um, salary pool, um, they're going to begin to ask themselves whether or not they really, for the next four or five years, want to pay this guy somewhere around $30 million and make him ostensibly untouchable. Um, and, and I don't think the answer is yes. And I think we're starting to see the fruits of this massive money that just sits on salary caps um, and, and you can't do anything with them. So I don't necessarily have a particular trade that I'm looking to see. Um, I think there's some opportunities there. I'd love to see the Sixers get a little bit stronger in their area. But what I what I think is a, a, another interesting storyline, and people like to the conversation we had earlier, James Harden better beware if they think, oh, after 2022, at the age of 33, I'm going to be able to sign this massive deal. I, I don't know that the market's going to be as hot for those types of people as they otherwise would have been in the past. Chris, let me ask you this. Are we going to see more guys in the future – Go the way of Kevin Love? Because here's another guy who last year was absolutely in this boat that we're talking about, right? He was he was John Wall. He was Russell Westbrook last year, playing every once in a while for the Cavs, throwing the ball off players out of bounds and just openly, you know, pouting out there on the court. And he gets it together in the offseason and actually has become a legitimate candidate for sixth man of the year. Is he going to be a rare case or more guys, if they want this big money, going to have to figure out ways to do this? I think if... If a player is serious about continuing his career, he definitely has to look at what Kevin Love's been able to do this year. Being able to come off the bench, playing 20 to 23 minutes a night, leading the second unit in scoring, giving that second unit a scoring punch, being able to play against weaker defenders on the other team so it doesn't look as bad or that you've lost a step so much. I think I think as a veteran, you got to look at that and say that's the way to go for me to stay relevant to be on a competing team, to to win, have a chance at winning more championships, you definitely have to look at that. Yeah, Father Pete, it's just too much to ask, right? For guys like this, these high level athletes, right, who have been the best their whole entire lives, it's probably just too much for us to ask for them to be able to be humble enough to become Kevin Love. More often than not, they're going to be Russell Westbrook. They're going to be John Wall. They still think all they need is an opportunity and all the shots and everything will be fine, right? Yeah, I mean, and this is this is what makes them great, you know. Um, this is what makes them uh, really good at what they do. Um, but like in all things in life, and this this lesson comes for us all, um, the one thing is constant, and that's change. And and those who adapt best um, 
have the opportunities and those who don't just end up sitting on the front porch saying, get off my lawn. <laughs> and it turns out in the NBA, the GM's like, fine, <laughs> your lawn is weedy and I'm not all that interested. Yeah, we're definitely seeing that. We are definitely seeing that where the GMs are just they're, – they're, they're much more adept at being able to make moves and they're so good at being able to make moves – even though you have a team like the Philadelphia 76ers who have a $36 million hole on their team right now where they're paying a guy. Well, they're not actually paying him that. They're finding him a whole lot of money. But that's that's a story for something different when we get into that. <laughs> but they're still figuring out a way to be one of the top five teams in the East without $36 million of their payroll. It's absolutely amazing. So I'm with you, Father Pete, that there's there's going to be – and we're already – we're already seeing, I think, the players realizing this, right? In the past, we saw guys, get me to free agency, get me to free agency. I'm yep. going to sign a one plus one, a two plus one. And now guys are saying, no, 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 no. Let me sign the five-year deal here, and then I'm just going to get my way out, and I'm just going to be able to go to wherever I want to. And I think these GMs are wising up to it. Yep. Yeah. And and, and the other piece is, is, is as the analytics movement continues to sweep across the NBA, they're going to be far more discerning about these guys. They just are. Yeah. So let's 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 let me drop my bomb here. Let's 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 clear this up. Let's put a bow on it one last time. Father Pete, I'm so with you. You kind of alluded to it there, but James Harden, if you're listening, quite the way that I spoke directly to Aaron Rodgers a couple of weeks ago, James Harden, <laughs> if you are listening, all right, make note of what's going on with John Wall. Okay. Do you want to be so prideful and so untradeable that you literally are just not playing? Okay. Pay note of Russell Westbrook. Do you want to be so stubborn that you just become the complete scorn and laughing stock of everybody and it almost washes away your NBA Hall of Fame career? Because we can all have our thoughts about Westbrook right now. That dude's an absolute Hall of Famer. First ballot. Forget about it. You know what I mean? And we're only mm-hmm. going to have these bad thoughts about him because he's been traded three times in three years and he keeps becoming everybody's blame man. So James Harden, do you want that to be you? Because I'm sorry, man. You look at James Harden now and you look at James Harden four years ago. He is pudgy. He is slower. He is not breaking dudes down off the dribble. He is way more reliant on that step-back three-pointer, and that thing's going to start to go on him at some point. And I absolutely do not want to be a GM paying James Harden 45 to $55 million when he's 34, 35, 36 at the end of that contract. No thanks. Agreed. Preach. Preach. So we talked about Ben Simmons there. Father Pete, we had you on at the beginning of the year, and you had some Ben Simmons thoughts for us. I think the Ben Simmons situation still remains an absolute fulcrum for the future of the NBA. So I'm interested if you have any different thoughts on the Ben Simmons situation, and we've seen it play out now for almost half a year. I've got I've got a few thoughts on on this situation, and and what's what where my mind has gone recently is around is around power. I think at the um, beginning of the season. Um, there was a real sense that Ben Simmons was in the driver's seat. You know, he was able to dictate whether or not he was going to show up to camp. Um, and then the Sixers began to um, indicate that they were not willing uh, to trade him, that they were uh, going to seek to make amends. Make amends. Um, but what now has interestingly happened by seemingly Ben Simmons' lack of ability to engage this process, he's put himself completely and absolutely in the driver's seat. And furthermore, uh, with the arrival of Darren Morey, you know, the longtime general manager of the Houston Rockets and now with the Sixers, he's he's the best or one of the best at playing the long game. And so kudos to the Sixers management. They're more than willing to kind of let him sit there and park. Um, I mean, the critique of this approach might be that you're wasting some of Joel Embiid's prime um, when you could have had maybe a talent 
Um, and maybe earlier on you could have gotten something better for him because um, as as the, the days have chugged along here, all of a sudden now I think you're in a situation where people begin to ask the question, what, what else is wrong with Ben Simmons beyond his jump shot? So I don't know, man. I think the Sixers are going to have to like figure out a way to kind of build him back up so as to get some kind of value in the return. But what I found really interesting, especially when you look at situations like James Harden, who was able to force himself out and others, um, Ben Simmons wasn't able to do that. And so we're seeing a very different narrative than perhaps what it was thought to be the norm that these superstars, all world players could kind of like dictate their terms to the exact destination they wanted to be. Ben Simmons, for whatever reason, hasn't. And I'd love to be able to understand what are the particulars that kind of led to him going down one road and um, some of the others landing in the exact spot that they wanted to be. Well, you know, one thing that we sort of bring up, excuse me, in a roundabout way on this podcast from time to time is Joel Embiid is not from this country, right? Joel Embiid had a bit of a rougher upbringing to get here, right? And we talk about Mm -hmm. it when we talked about Giannis and then Ben Simmons, being from Australia, yes, but he still kind of came through the AAU culture a little bit because he went yep. to high school here and he then played college basketball here. So he he was still caught up with a little bit of that. I was a high draft pick, all of the above, right? And Bede kind of came out of nowhere in four years and became a draft pick just like Giannis did. And so you yeah. just see these guys a little more willing to work, right? And that's just me passing judgment, and that's not fair. I get that. But, Chris, let me ask you this about pride. If you're Daryl Morey, how long is too long to be prideful and holding out for that one perfect deal when maybe just maybe it's better for your team to get 80 cents on the dollar and bring in a couple of guys who could help Joel Embiid, but maybe aren't huge, uh, another huge superstar. I think it's right now. Um, the, the problem that he has and yeah, he's good at playing the long game, but Embiid is a big man talent that teams get maybe, once or twice in a generation, you know, like you don't get an opportunity to have a player like him all that often. And when he's healthy and playing like he is right now, you can't waste this opportunity. No, I, I get that. You're right. Cause ask Portland twice, right. With Bill Walton yep. and with, uh, I can't even think of his name now, Odin, right. Or ask, uh, right. ask the Rockets, right. Yao Ming had a bunch of miles on him by the time he got to Houston. So he really only had like three good years. So I, I yep. you're right. But still, Chris, you should refer to Joel Embiid as this year's MVP who will ultimately pay a bet off for Rod in Vegas. That's how you should refer to <laughs> I, I think there's, there's still just one MVP in the league so far. That's not Embiid. It's not Embiid, huh? Well, I, that, I think we should probably get to the MVP table because I've 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 done Simmons thoughts before, but Father Pete, I did want I did want to get your because once again you have managed to make me think about the situation differently because I've sat back and thought to myself nothing but anger at Ben Simmons and wondered how in the world could you make all of these decisions and now I have to think to myself, oh my goodness, that it's completely flipped on him and he feels completely powerless and so now he's he's acting from a from a whole a whole different state of mind now than he was in the beginning but yet his behavior still seems consistent and that just has me even more perplexed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this might be clear by the by the trade deadline. Maybe maybe more he decides to move him. I don't uh, think so but- though. I don't think so either. I think this is at, you know, they're going to try to like cash him in right around the draft sometime, but uh, not now. And and it's fascinating to see why in his instance, he wasn't able to make it happen when others were. Well, I think you, I think you sort of alluded to it, right? I think it's just a jump shot, right? If Ben Simmons could consistently score you 18 points a game, I think all the teams around mm-hmm. the league would have been salivating, but they just know that he's not that guy. Yeah. 
that's a I hadn't thought about that, Rob. That's a really, really good point. That the jumper, his lack thereof, um, makes him because less any team that's bringing him on, they've already got a structure, right? They've already got a way that they play. They've already got a hierarchy, right? You see this yep. enough with the with the Notre Dame team, right? I yep. mean, there's there's only seven guys right now on the team that that Mike Bray plays, right? There's five guys that basically just go into practice knowing, all right, man, I'm here to to do this, but I'm not getting a shot in the game, you know. So like, there's just a hierarchy that gets created with a guy like Ben Simmons. Yep. That's why I think again, it's the off season. You've got to be a team, and I think it could end up being a team like Sacramento. What Sacramento got going on? Absolutely nothing. Bring Ben Simmons in. You got him locked into a contract in Sacramento where nobody wants to be for four more years and yep. retrofit the team around him. If the kids got anything left, that's the only situation I think where it's going to work. I thought Other those than, talks. I thought those ahead, talks Chris. already stopped. Because weren't they in talks? Yeah, with but the you Kings? can't believe anything the Kings say. Come on, you know that as well <laughs> so as I do. You, so you think the Kings leaked it and they're still talking? And so there still may be a deal. Exactly. Vic Ronadive is still the same guy who said, you know what, we should really just have four guys play defense so we can have somebody <laughs> hang back on offense for cherry picking, right? Like he, he literally thought that'd be a good idea. And know, the one so thing he, the one thing that Big Ben Simmons does have and that some teams need up there is his defense. Sure. Um you, you always miss, talk defense. Defense is your stalking horse on Because I'm an old dude and an old school guy and I like defense. And so and it's it becomes really important important become playoff time. So no, you're right about that. You're right about that. But you know what else becomes important playoff time is if you possibly have an MVP on your team. So let's close with one of our favorites here on the Morgan Eno Podcast Network, the MVP table. We like to just have people pull up a seat. Father Pete, you're the guest here. You're the Hall of Famer. Tell us a couple guys that have to absolutely have a seat at the MVP table right now. Okay. So I, I think the MVP is the battle for the bigs, man. And in a way that, you know, the NBA is kind of a, pace and space game but somehow and this is just how wickedly talent talented that league is my top three are all bigs and my top three all fall somewhere in the range of 610 to 71 uh you know so in no particular order i'm gonna give you my three and then i'm gonna give you a take nikola Jokic, he could go for the second easily he's got 26 points a game 13 rebounds and seven assists per game Ridiculous. I mean, that's that's Just insane. Ridiculous. And then you got Joel Embiid sitting at 28, 10, and 4. Um, and, and by the way, I think he's getting less assists because oftentimes the ball's stopping with him. He's not looking to pass, and that's just what they need him to do with the offense. What's he um, going to do? Pass to Tyrese Maxey or Matisse Thibault? Come on. Right, exactly. And then, and then you know, no one's going to be surprised by the third, Giannis. He continues to just be dominant and really good at what he does. And just so as to show that I do pay attention to um, – positions outside the center position um i'll give demar Derozan some love i i think that he like i said earlier man i mean like yes. no one saw the bulls being what they are and so he's he's a real important part of that whole chemistry yes yeah, De- so. demar Derozan could be fifth on a lot of people's ballots and we'll give him a pat on the back it'll be nice but chris so i guess you're <laughs> saying demar needs a seat at the table who else does um i think he's right on all three of those guys they need seats at the table I do think that Embiid is still going to fall short. Um, Will you stop it? I don't understand why you're throwing this much shade at Embiid. Are you just trying to anger me? Will you stop it? I do this every 3 and D podcast. It's just this this year you have a bet, so it's bugging you more. That's true. You actually actually (laughs) do throw shade at Embiid, but I'm telling you, this bet stands to pay off pretty well for me if he wins MVP. And I'm going to be out there in May, and I can actually cash it in then. (laughs) Um, I think... I think you got to have James and Curry at the table as well. Yes. 
Yes. Yeah, I mean, James, I know the Lakers are not playing well. But here, here's what they represent. Curry represents still being at the table because of the beginning of the year, and LeBron represents being at the table now because of the tear he's been on recently. Before he got hurt, though, which could definitely move LeBron away from the table depending on how long he's out because this is how it happens with old guys. I'm knocking on wood here, right? But the old guys, it just it kind of comes out of nowhere, and then they're just never 100% healthy again. And I hope we are not seeing that with LeBron because he put a huge workload on himself at points this year. Yeah, yeah. and then I, you also got to think about Durant. If he comes back and plays lights out like he was, he should probably still deserve a seat at the table. No, not if the Nets are in the playing territory. Get Durant out of here. Um, But if, if Durant comes back healthy and gets on a tear, they won't be in the playing territory. Uh, I don't know. I'm not so sure. They're about sitting that. at sixth right now, so it's not quite out the realm of the possibility. Well, I know, but they're also only like four games out of first because, like, Milwaukee's at fifth right now, and they're only three games out of first. I mean, the East is absolutely crazy. Father Peter, is there anybody else that garners any kind of a seat at this table? You think, or or do we pretty much have the table with with the people who might be able to win? I think we got the table. We could we could start talking about the wait staff. You know, like who's, sure. who's walking around in the white jackets, but I, I don't think that. Um, any outside the names that we've mentioned, anyone else has a legitimate shot. If the Mavs end up four, right, and you can look at Luca's stats, like let's say a month before the All Star break on, right, and he's at twenty eight a game, twelve assists, you know, yeah. six rebounds, two steals, you know, just, and then he was the favorite at the beginning of the year in Vegas, if you remember, right? I mean, does does he garner some votes? Because I think we're all saying to ourselves right now. We were a little hard on Luke at the beginning of the year, and he deserved it. But now he's showing us why he's Luke, and I just he, wonder if he's going to walk work his way into this conversation. His efficiency needs to get up. He has not been shooting well this year, and and if that changes and they do get on tear, then he deserves a seat at the table at that point. Yeah, because I just think he's still going to be one of those guys that we talk about for years, right? And I think also another guy that I mentioned earlier in the podcast, if the Hawks continue on the tear they're on, and they solidify themselves and make the playoffs, right? Can Trey Young get some votes? If, Chris, what you're talking about happens, right? Embiid happens to hurt himself. Durant doesn't come back. LeBron stays out for a while, right? Like, that scenario still is out there, too, where this thing is just completely wide open for a dark horse, I think. Yeah, I, I think I think everyone is in second place to Joker. I mean, the dude has done nothing but improve his He seems un- unable usage, to get hurt as well with that doughy body. His PER. <laughs> I mean, he has improved every aspect of his game from an MVP year. I don't see how he doesn't win it again. Just think how good that Nuggets team would be, all right? Just stay with me for a second here. If, if they would have just been able to convince Jeremy Grant, hey, dude, you don't need to go to Detroit. And Father Pete, I'm sorry, but you don't need to go to Detroit to get 25 a game on a team that's going nowhere. Stay here and hit, you know, a couple of corner threes, score 12 points, play tough defense for us, 28 minutes a game on a team that maybe could win a championship. So they still yeah. had him, didn't have to pay Aaron Gordon that money that they paid him, didn't have to give uh, Michael Porter a bunch of money with the back that may never help himself again. And Jamal Murray never got hurt. How good would that Nuggets team be right now? It would never happen. Grant, the whole reason he wanted out of Denver is because he didn't want to be a bit role player or a second fiddle. Yeah, but now and he doesn't now want to lose. So he's got to figure out do you want to do you want to win or do you want to or do you want to lose and just be the guy that nobody cares about? And again, Father Pete, I'm sorry. I, I don't mean well, to throw shade at your pistons. There's been some trade rumors with him in Detroit. Yep. So he may end up getting dealt to somebody who needs him. Well, let's go to the Detroit Pistons fan, Father Pete. Yeah, your, your word on Jeremy Grant and your Pistons as we're as we're wrapping up here because I've kept you a little longer than I promised. You know, I, actually, I think it's probably time to trade him. I, I think with the emergence of Kay Cunningham, it's it's probably time to 
get Grant into a different situation so that Cunningham can increasingly so make this his team, you know, and, and so, you know, Jeremy is coming back from this injury and, um, and so I would love to see him moved. And, and, and frankly, you know, I'm grateful and, and, and respect the decision to come to the Pistons. Of course I do. Cause I'm a fan, but like Denver was never going to give him the money he got with Detroit and nor were they going to give him the opportunity. And now all of a sudden Grant's seen as a, as a coveted, probably number two player, at minimum, a Robin. He might not be seen as Batman, but he's certainly seen as a Robin in a way that uh, had he stayed in Denver, that would have never been an opportunity for him. I think, but I think ultimately, though, what he needs to be, and I, I'm, I'm not as great with comic books as I need to be, but like, is he Batgirl maybe? Like, is Batgirl third to Batman and Robin? Like, is she the, is she the third level hero or is there somebody else? Chris, help me out here. Well, I think you'd go Catwoman before Batgirl. But I thought Catwoman was a villain in, the, in one hey, of them. She's, she's, both sides she just she likes to steal but she has a heart of gold all right well i just think jeremy grant's probably better off as a third right like i don't think you want him as your as your second best player but i think as your third possibly right like if you got a if you got a, a presence in the middle who you know things are going through and then you got a guard who sets things up i think jeremy grant's your ideal number three three and d wing but i don't, I don't know if he's your second best guy and you're relying on him to score 24 every night i don't know but as you said father pete he's the number two guy out there in the trade market i think eric gordon is the most coveted prize out there because that guy can drive, that guy can shoot, that guy can play a little bit of defense. He can do all the stuff you really want a guy to do for 25, 26 minutes a game. Got tons of playoff experience as well, which teams that are going to be yep. in the playoffs really, really covet. So I think that makes him number one. Yep. And I think Jeremy Grant's second out there on the trade market. And I think you go to a guy like Robert Covington up there in Portland, who we didn't really touch on. But I think Covington can be had. I think Nurkic can be had up there. I think there's a scenario where maybe C.J. Mccollum still gets dealt finally after we've been talking for three years that he should get traded. So... It'll be you interesting wanna, to see what Portland does. You could see a situation where New York looks to deal some guys, and I've heard rumors of the Pacers blowing it up as well. They're not. The Pacers Agreed. aren't going to do anything. Sabonis looks like he anything. may get dealt to Washington. That's no way. No way. For who? Pacers aren't going to do anything. Uh, I I don't know the details. That's just that was just a little rumor. I'm that just I telling ran. you the Pacers aren't going to do anything. Rick Carlisle is not going to sign up for a team that just completely blows itself up, right? Like he may let him trade Karis Levert because he's just not ever going to play that guy, and that guy's off injured. But he he's not going to be like, yeah, get rid of everything that that brought me to this team. I just don't think he's signing up for a for a rebuild. And the Pacers ownership is also just ultimately they just they're 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 far more risk averse being a small market than other. Well, teams. they need so to I do something think. because they are underperforming. By a lot this year. Well, then that just means they'll be back next year. The Pacers are never underperforming for multiple years in a row. It's kind of like a roller coaster down there, a roller coaster of mediocrity. <laughs> if that makes any I, sense, I That's hope. What the I hope you're are. right, Rod. I don't want to see them blow up. I don't want to see them tank. They're my favorite NBA team. The last thing I want to see is my team try to tank. Well, there you go. That was the NBA at the half. We were excited to bring Father Pete back. And Father Pete, we would love to see if we can't get you maybe when the playoffs kick off, right? We kind of have the, the kind of have the, the bookend. We got you at the beginning, the middle, and the end of the NBA season. Love it. Love it. I'm down. All right. Well, thank you for taking some time out of uh, of the Miami night there to uh, to join me on this frigid <laughs> eve. The Mrs. Morgan, you know, says hello. And uh, she is a bit jealous of you being in Miami as well, but she told me to make sure she says hello. Hey, well, uh, give my love right back. Absolutely. Chris, thank you as always for, uh, for joining me. And, uh, 
I want to let the people know that next week we will be having two podcasts for you. We will, of course, have Mr. Williams. We'll probably have Mr. Jamriska, myself, Chris. It'll be the big Super Bowl balls and brew spectacular. That'll be coming at you later next week. But we also will have a Morgan You Know episode. Myself, Chris King, Jake Williams, and the Mrs. Morgan You Know will be dropping a new segment that we are going to hope becomes a recurring thing on this podcast network. Bonfire of the Vanities. I continue to say it, folks. That's your homework. But the Bonfire of the Vanities homework will pay off next week. I promise. Chris, we can promise that to the people, can't we? It is 100%. And as always, my friend, the final word goes to you. Goodbye, Internet.